the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. As promised, I'm Jim Stanley sitting in for Brother Bert Harper today. Yesterday I was sitting in for Dr. Alex McFarland. Well, Alex is with us today. Alex, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Jim, and thanks for subbing for me yesterday. Hey, brother, that's my pleasure. Now, I didn't hit it as far as you would, but I, I did my best. Well, you know, you're wonderful. You always are. And, folks, we welcome you to today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we're going to be in the book of Malachi. Later on in the program, we're going to open up the phones and take Bible questions. So if you want to take this number down and get ready to call us with your Bible question, the number is 888 888- Five eight nine eighty eight forty, and you know, Jim. Yesterday, Bert and I recorded a special Thanksgiving show, and the, I was traveling back from the Cove, and I could either do the pre-record or make it to Greensboro in time to do exploring the word. Couldn't squeeze both in, so I, I, the good folks at the Catawba Baptist Association in Western North Carolina. I was on the road about midway. The Catawba Baptist, they let me use their building, and I set up all the gear, and we pre-recorded. And uh, then I wasn't able to make it in time for the live show. So I thank you for subbing for me. But, Jim, i got to tell you, everybody ought to know, and I think everybody probably does know, AFA is such a wonderful family of can-do people. And isn't it a blessing to work with just godly people who we hold each other's arms up, don't we? We sure do, and and we realize it's a team effort, uh, and we do it together, and we do it as unto the Lord. And I think that's one of the reasons that it works as well as it as it does is because we each give each other grace. Amen, amen. Well, you know, um, when I was a young Christian, I was at a, an event, and uh, somebody got up to share a devotional from Malachi. Malachi, yeah. Um. And I was a young Christian, and I didn't know any different either. But generally, the final book of the Old Testament is pronounced Malachi, isn't it? And the the name of of this minor prophet means my messenger. And this is kind of about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And, And this would become the final book in the Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament. And I understand you and Bert got into Malachi yesterday, the first couple of chapters, right, Jim? We did, and, and one of the things we talked about, in case you want to go back and unpack it a little, is that after the book of Malachi, there was a period of silence of 400 years. You know, uh, And so when we look at that, and then from there, when I, when I see this here in chapter 3, where we're going to start today, it says, Behold, I, I send my messenger, and he will pair, prepare the way before me. You know, that's where the New Testament kind of picks up, is where Christ is born, and then uh, the ministry of Christ as he begins to take place there. And even the the verse there, it, Christ himself, he quotes from Isaiah. We see that phrase there, and then we see it again in Mark, don't we? Well, we do. And, you know, as we get into Malachi 3, uh, I believe this is one of, one of a few Old Testament references to John the Baptist. Um, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. 
Now, in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we're probably going to see another reference. Let me turn to this, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Now, in Matthew 17, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, um, those, uh, you know, they ask, uh, the, the scribes say, Elijah must come first. Mm. And Jesus said, well, Elijah has come, one like Elijah, John the Baptist. So um, there is messianic uh, content here about the coming of Christ and the forerunner, F-O-R-E, the forerunner, John the Baptist, who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and again, Jim, this is four centuries before the birth of Christ when this was written, and yet very 100% accurate for what would be the circumstances surrounding the coming of Jesus. Yeah, and, you know, when we look at that, as we look through the, the third chapter there, we see these things, and it's just really neat to see the way that that, that works out because we see the Bible as a whole. You know, the folks here, uh, when when Malachi was given to them, they didn't see all that we have the opportunity to see now. You know, they couldn't flip over to John and see what happens there. They couldn't flip over to Matthew and see what happens there. And so that's one of the reasons that when we talk about Bible scripture and Bible prophecies and teachings, we always talk about line upon line and precept upon precept because we don't ever want to take anything out of context. Well, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that, you know, we, we have the luxury. We can flip back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Jim, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, it's talking about these, you know, uh, Moses and Abraham and Samson and all. Sometimes we frequently call Hebrews 11 the Faith Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And it says these having not received the promise, but they saw it afar off. Uh, they all were commended for their faith, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect, Hebrews 11, uh, 38 through 40. Now, here's the thing. Um, we have got such an unparalleled level of revelation. Now, I, I read Hebrews 11, and I read about Moses and Joseph and Samson and Gideon and Barak, and it says that so many of these people were martyred, and they had not yet seen the full picture. Now, we read Malachi 3, and uh, verse 2 says, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. You know, we know about the return of Christ. We know about the Bema seat where there's going to be gold, silver, precious stones, and there'll be some wood, hay, stubble burned off. And we know about the great white throne because we have read the whole New Testament. But, Jim, I've got to just really humbly acknowledge the faithful folk of the Old Testament that only had a little smidgen of the big salvation picture, and yet they were faithful to God even under the point of laying down their lives 
I mean, we we know how the story ends. We we've read the back of the book and we win. But may God bless the memory of those who came and only had just a little bit of enlightenment and yet they trusted God for the Messiah. Amen. Yeah, and and that is a key point there, Alex. And and so uh, but unfortunately, I think sometimes we take it for granted and we don't handle it with the care that it should be handled. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, do you know what? Um, I hate to quote this guy, really. There was a guy years ago named Aldous Huxley, and uh, he was not a Christian by any means. He was a big champion for Darwin. But somebody asked him about the human potential, and they, they were talking about evolution and what is the, you know, how much potential do human beings really have? And Huxley said, well, if there's one thing that's infinite, it's the human capacity to take things for granted. Mm. And that's an act, That's a pretty good observation. We just take things for granted, you know, okay, sure, Christ comes back, he's victorious. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful to know. So in uh, Malachi 3, we've got, even though they had uh, broken the covenant with God, there were, you know, uh, corrupt priests, mm-hmm. and there was, uh, you know, unbelief and, and really kind of uh, wicked practices. But here's the thing. God, even though God in his righteousness has to judge sin, there's promises. Right. Uh, now, chapter 3, though, before we go, uh, any good preacher is going to pull out the part about tithing. Hey, before you do that, can I, can I say <laughs> something real quick? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, right there, in, uh, in back, back up a little bit before that, in verse 4. Um, right. When we see that, you've covered the refiner's fire and everything, and we talked about being purged as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And the verse says, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. So that's where you talk about the hope there. You know, we do have that hope. We're promised that. And then there's the dispensation about the judgment that will come against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, those who exploit wage earners, widows, orphans, and those who turn away an alien because they do not fear the fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You know, that's kind of like the list that we see there in uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, yes. You know, where Paul warns us that um, we're not to do some of these things, that, that we're not to be an idolater, that we're not to be an adulterer, nor a thief, nor covetous. And then Paul goes on to say, as such as some were some of you. And then mm-hmm. Paul gives the hope, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord. So if we can get to the point that we become believers and we fear the Lord, and, and we talked about that yesterday being reverence and respect, but also a good healthy fear like you mentioned, of the judgment seat and of these things. But we have an advocate, and so there is that hope. Now, on to the tithing. Well, yeah, and you know you were talking about um, how we, you know, we know about the judgment seat, but and this is talking to believers, and it says, regarding the fact that we're all going to appear before God, it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Second Corinthians 5.11, um, and that's that's talking to believers. My goodness, if we believers need to get our heart right, mindful of the day we're going to appear before God, how much fear should mm. the the unbeliever have about standing before a holy God? But um, 
you mentioned verses five and following. There's a list I come to testify against you against sorcerers, mm-hmm. adulterers, perjurers, those who defraud laborers, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, deprive the foreigners of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God is about righteousness. He really is. But then in verse six, I, the Lord, do not change. Mm. Jim, that is reason enough to shout hallelujah. Amen. I am so glad that God, the eternal God, he doesn't change. And God stands true to his promises, his covenant. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Isn't it good? Now, notice he's not preserving them because of their goodness or their, you know, 100% Mm -hmm. record of obedience. But he is a faithful, merciful God who stands true to his covenant. And he goes on there, um, will a man rob God? Verse 8, yet you do rob me. Well, how are we robbing you, they ask? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and give a blessing that you can't be able to contain it. Jim, have you heard preaching on this passage? I know I have. You know, I have, Alex, but because it's in an Old Testament, it just doesn't apply to me. <laughs> well, that's yeah, what a lot of people right. say, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I was saying that a little tongue-in-cheek there, as I'm yeah. sure you know. Um, yeah, it, it really is. And so this is one of those things that even though the Lord, you know, well, I tell you what, we're going to pick that up. As we come back to Exploring the Word, Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland, right here on the American Family Radio Network. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Jack Danielson, Acting Deputy Administrator of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. His office works to save lives, prevent injuries, and reduce vehicle-related crashes. Philippians 2.4 reminds us of the importance of helping others. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask for guidance for Jack Danielson as he leads the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says many people worship a designer deity, a God who conforms to their standards more than they do to his. But that's not the kind of relationship the Bible describes. And we'll find out why as we spend two minutes with Tony. There must be total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not a buffet. For most Christians, commitment to Jesus Christ is a buffet. When you go through the buffet line, I want this, I don't want that, I want that, I don't want that. We pick and choose the parts of Jesus we like, we prefer, and we want. This is not a buffet. God demands total surrender. Romans chapter 14, verses 8 and 9 says Jesus lived and Jesus died to control all of your life. 
not a part of it, not Sunday morning. If you are a part-time Christian, don't expect big-time answers. He demands total surrender. When you tell your child you want them to do something, I want you to surrender to my instructions, watch this, even when it's not preferred. Because that's what surrender is. Surrender isn't just because I like it. Surrender is because you said it. It is submission to his lordship. It is the absence of lordship that keeps prayers unanswered. And he wants absolute, complete surrender. If you haven't completely surrendered your life to God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you're not even sure what that means, visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Jesus. Then join us again next time for Two Minutes with Tony. When you die, are you going to heaven or not? You can know for sure Heaven or not, net. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You got pain, he's a pain If you feel lost, he's a way maker. Good afternoon and welcome back. I'm Jim Stanley alongside Dr. Glad to have you along with us today. Brother Bert's out. He is taking a couple of honeydew days, I believe is what he told me. And Alex, we know what those are like. Well, he's a wise man, and he's, he's a good husband, and he and Jan have been married a long time. And, uh, you know, whenever Bert is out or if I'm out, we sure are grateful to have you, Jim, to sit in with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Now, Alex, before the break, we were talking about tithing. And yeah. I had kind of thrown it out there, and I want folks to understand that I believe that tithing is important. Okay, I, I was I was really was being tongue in cheek when I said that, uh, you know, that it's because it's in the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to me. That's not the case. But it's one of those things. It can be a point of contention in the church, can it? Well, yeah. And, you know, Jim, I think about Psalm 24, verse one, it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it reminds us that we really don't own anything. And uh, do you sense that there's this almost astonishment here? Uh, And I know different people have different um, thoughts and perspectives about giving. But in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you do rob me. I mean, the the way that verse 8 of Malachi 3 is worded, there's really kind of astonishment because... um, my goodness, what a bold thing to rob God. What, what an ungrateful thing, you know. What a, what a thing that's very counterproductive. And I've said this, and, and Jim, I, I've just got to say, look, I am not a legalist. I'm not. And I know you don't tithe and give to get back. Um, really, folks, giving is an act of love and gratitude, and it's also an act of acknowledgement of God's ownership. Um, We don't give to God because he needs anything. In fact, honestly, Jim, if we if we could really see reality with spiritual eyes, I think that we would get on our knees and thank God for the biblical requirement to financially support the church, because honestly, 
we can be a blessing, we grow, our ability to trust God and see God's hand grows. But here's the thing, um, God really does own everything, and I'm going to say this, and I'd love your response, it is better to have the 90% with God's favor than to withhold and have 100% and be out of God's will. Would yeah. you agree? Oh, absolutely, I would agree with that. And when you look at this, it, don't forget there's a promise here also, where if there is obedience, then there is blessing from God. Now, we don't give to get. I think you mentioned that. That's mm-hmm. not what we do, and it's not a, a name-it-claim-it type of verse here that we're talking about. But when we look in Matthew there in the seventh chapter, uh, in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And then it goes on to say that if fathers know how to take care of their children, how much more does God know who our Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God mm-hmm. promises that if we bring these tithes, then there will be food in his house. But not only will there be food in his house, what does he do, Alex? He opens up the windows of heaven. Mm. Amen. Amen. And listen, I've seen that. Goodness. Do you know what? I've told this story, and Angie and I have been so blessed, but I remember when we were newlyweds and I was in seminary, and I mean, every nickel we could get our hands on went to tuition. And she was finishing up nursing school, and I was in seminary, And uh, one day I came in, and we used to like to go down to the fast food place, McDonald's and Subway. Both, they had a $2.99 special, but with tax and all, it was like $3.12. This is 30 years ago, folks. Anyway, I got, I put my hands back under the sofa cushions, just kind of stretching out, and I felt some change. And I thought, oh my goodness, could it be? And we put together... And we had $3.12. And I said, we're going out tonight, Angie. Uh, We're going to split one of the combo meals. But here's the thing. Um, I I know what it is to be scraping by. I know what it is to see God bless. And you know what? Jim, have you ever seen on a box of cereal, it'll say, contents may have settled during shipping? Right. Well, where it says, you know... um, Ask and it will be given, you know, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, men will pour into your uh, lap. Um, and Malachi 3 talks about opening the windows of heaven so the, there will not be room enough to store it. Folks, I promise you, if you will trust God with your substance, he will bless you more than you could have ever imagined. Now, it doesn't mean you're not ever going to go through some lean times. Sometimes we do. And we just have to to get on our knees and pray, but we see that God is our source. There's even a promise that the farmers will understand in verse 11 of Malachi 3, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. And and maybe you're not growing cantaloupes and fruits, but maybe you're trying to say, well, Lord, help me get this project done by the deadline for work. And, uh, Jim, I'm just going to tell you, and you can maybe think I'm a little bit weird. There, there have been times that I have said, Lord, I just need you to make this day longer. I, I've got 12 hours of work in eight hours of day. Please, Lord, help me get this done. There have been times 
many a times I've prayed for the gas gauge when I was out in the middle of nowhere on my way to a preaching engagement. And I'm just telling you, if you will acknowledge that God is the owner, acknowledge that you are the steward, and acknowledge that you're doing your best to obediently serve him, he'll help you on down the road. I promise you. Haven't you seen it too, Jim? Yes, sir. And and that's absolutely the truth. You know, when we look at this here, the promise of God is very clear. Now, the people being people and us being Christians today, we're going to find something to grumble about. And you see that here in verse 13. It says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You know, you're talking with God. And it's like God doesn't know or that he doesn't know. It's one of those things that the Lord's saying, Hey, your words have been harsh towards me. But Jim says, Lord, what have I spoken against you? And then Jim has said, It's useless to serve the Lord. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Doesn't that sound like a pity party? Well, it does. And, you know, I read Malachi 4, 13 through 15, and we've all been there. I've got to admit, I've been there where we kind of have that pity party. Uh, Jim, early in the life of the show, and this was back when Marvin Sanders was still with us, uh, rest his soul, uh, somebody called in one day, and this this might have been within the first six months of the show, and listen how they phrased their question. I've never forgotten it. Somebody said, um, I used to be a believer, and I tried Christianity, but Christianity just didn't work for me. Mm. And Marvin or I, one of us, said, well, um, how how do you think Christianity is supposed to work? And they were sharing some challenges and things like that. Um, the the people here, Israel, says, look, carrying out his requirements, verse 14, is just not worth it. You know, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements? Folks, we've got to remember what the world is and is not. Praise the Lord, it's a world where you can trust Christ and be born again and be saved. If you call on the Lord right now, your sins can be forgiven. But life down here is really a a workshop for the making of saints. Mm. God is preparing you to enjoy heaven to the maximal capacity. And, you know, you could use the analogy of a workshop or a sculptor with his chisel or a gym where you've got to work out, no pain, no gain. But, uh, Jim... We've got to remember that this world, and it is full of blessings, this world is glorious. Life is a gift. Oh, my goodness. Life is such a blessing. But this world, even for very godly people, because the Lord loves us enough to purge us and sharpen us and strengthen us, God's preparing us for heaven, for sainthood. Um, This world is going to have some pains, isn't it? It sure is. It's one of those things, and we see it in America today. You know, we're stretching. The, the pains are there that, that are being just like the, the pregnancy, the stretch marks that come, unfortunately, uh, for ladies, because I know that's one of the things they complain about. Um, it, it's one of those things that there's going to be pain with the birth, just like there's going to be pain with the birth that come the, the second birth. 
And it's not the pain that we paid, it's the pain that Christ paid. But it's one of those things that here in America we see the struggle. And, folks, it's just beginning here. You can look at other countries, and we have fellow Christians who are being put to death for the gospel. Here we're inconvenienced. But the day's coming, and, and I say it's fast approaching unless a revival does come, that it will become, mm-hmm. it will become against the law to speak the words of Christ. Mm. Wow. Well, we need to be grateful. Uh, and the people in verse 15, I mean, they, they thought it was good to be arrogant and really turn away from God, but the Lord warns them about that. And it goes on. Um, Let me read this because time fleets away. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Jim, maybe that scroll of remembrance is a reference to the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm. But on the day when I act, says the Lord, that will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Now, Oh, my goodness, this is so beautiful, uh, chapter 4 and following. I'm sorry, I was we were in 3, but um, chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord. Not a root or a branch will be left. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go out and leap, or literally frolic, like calves from the stall, well-fed calves. And you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. Now, Jim, I can honestly say I have seen calves run and frolic and leap from the stall. I've seen that. We had cows for part of my childhood. And do you know what? It's a joyful thing when the barn doors are open and the the young animals get to run out there joyfully. The day is coming, folks, when we're going to enter the real life, the presence of God. And Jim, don't you find it just so moving and poetic? Not only the warnings of judgment, the fire is coming like a furnace, but the Son of Righteousness, that's Jesus, is coming back. That eastern sky will split. Jesus is coming with healing in his wings. And we're going to run for joy. Uh, I've always been moved when I read Malachi 4, 2, and, and 3. Doesn't it just stir your soul? Absolutely. And, you know, the promise that, again, is given in the book of Malachi is that while we see an angry God at places, the, the hope continues. And the, as we look towards the, the end of the chapter, where it's in verse 6, where it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, uh, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Uh, it, it talks about there, but before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Alex, how important is that? Oh, it's vitally important. Let me say this. From the very beginning of time, God instituted the family. And uh, let me just say, Thanksgiving is coming a week from today, actually. Um, maybe you've got to make a phone call that is not easy to make and just say a prayer and do some fence mending. Uh, Christmas is coming. Let me challenge all of us to go out of our way to show love and, and, and really get close to those, of course, neighbors and friends, but especially family. Um, I am so thankful the Holy Spirit of God can repair 
relationships that have been breached. Now, it's interesting. Okay, chapter 4, you've got really a reference to the end of time. But then you've got uh, verse 5, I will send the prophet Elijah, very probably, very likely, a reference to John the Baptist. And if Malachi 4-5 references Christ and John the Baptist coming, the hearts of parents turn to the children, only the Holy Spirit can do that, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction or total curse. Now, remember, this is the final message from God before 400 years of silence, and then Jesus was born. You know, Jim, honestly, almost all of salvation history and the church age and the end of time is alluded to in one way or another in chapter 4, isn't it? It is, and it's one of those things that when you see it, it's not that there is a period there at the end of that verse, which it should be. It says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. We don't want to be cursed. We want to find that blessing that God has for us by following the ways. And when we do that, it's one of those things that it restores the peace between generations. You know, you were talking about Thanksgiving and the different things that may need to take place for Thanksgiving. You know, we may be fellow Christ followers, and we're reminded that before we can even participate in communion, that we want to be very care of the bread of the Lord, if you will, that we need to be careful that we've set things right with our spiritual brothers and sisters, too. Yeah. And, and folks, if you've got to make a, a hard call, pray about it and purpose that you're, you're not calling to straighten anybody out, but just to show love. Phone hey, calls next. Yep. Yes. At 888-589-8840 as Exploring the Word continues on AFR. There are some horrendous things that have been taking place. Bishop E.W. Jackson. But, but, the good news is that God is still on the throne. Jesus is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. He said in the world you would have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And uh, that's the way we've got to approach all this stuff. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Genesis 3 records for us the cataclysmic rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. The entire episode, Eve's entertainment of the sensual lies of the talking snake, the deceptive twisting of God's word, all of it transpired with Adam standing right there. Adam was the one to whom God entrusted his word originally. Adam was the one God charged with cultivating and protecting the garden and his wife. Yet he stood there, silent. Men, let us not repeat Adam's sin of present absence. Stand on God's word and defend your gardens. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 7, verse 47, Jesus said this of the sinful woman, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. You know the feeling. You're at a doctor's office, sitting on the examination table. The doctor asks you to cross one leg over the other. Then he takes a little rubber mallet and sharply strikes your leg right beneath your kneecap. And when he does that, you don't even think about it. You don't make it happen, but your leg kicks out. It's a reflexive response. You can't help it. When God lovingly pours into our hearts His forgiveness for our sins, there's a reflexive action of love for Him. His forgiveness awakens love in our hearts. So if you've truly been forgiven, you can't help but love Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Glad that invitation is still there, that there's a grace available for us, that it's presented to us at no cost because the cost has been paid. That's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus paid it all. And when we are saved, we have confidence with Christ. We really do. I'm going to give the number. It's 888 and uh, Jim, uh, do we have calls on the call board yet? We sure do. We're going to talk to Lisa calling from Texas. Lisa, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Uh, hi there. I'm so grateful for your show. I learned so much. <clears throat> I've been uh, trying to, my, my family ha- is a broken family, and uh, alcoholism is in the, their um, ism in our family, I'm going to say. And as a result, I would, um, our family's not getting along, and so uh, now we're not even speaking, and it's aunts and a cousin and my brother. And so we sort of drew, you know, set a boundary that if they wanted to talk about it and, you know, uh, change behaviors, that we would be happy to talk to them and we love them. And since then, there's been no cost. They're inviting us to holidays. You know, there are always things that nobody's supposed to speak of. We just pretend, we just brush them under the rug. And uh, my husband, or my brother is Church of Christ. And I hate to put words in his mouth. I wish we were on the call, but basically he says, you know, they haven't repented. And so basically there's no, it's not for us to forgive them or, or anything. Um, and, and I just read the Bible differently. And I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, try to reach out with them, to them with love, and 
um, in as much as they're willing to have a relationship outside of us all being together in the same room because we're not all willing to do that, um, that I should try to do that. Well, Lisa, sometimes families are hard, especially Mm -hmm. if you have large families and you have blended families. Families can be hard, and nobody hurts each other more than families do. And, Alex, it's it's one of those things that we do. It's it's up to us to forgive anyone, whether they've come to us and repented or not. It's still incumbent upon us as believers that we reach out to them with forgiveness and love. Yeah. Um, my heart goes out to you, sister. And let me just encourage you to be patient because God can work this out, and God does desire to work it out. Jim, I've counseled with families— and I've heard this statement before. People say, well, you know, they haven't repented, so I'm not going to really show love or I'm not going to reach out because the, the person who hurt me has not yet repented. Let me just say, I think sometimes people play this card maybe uh, out of carnality or hurt or whatever, but don't be that way. And let me, let me give an illustration. With the fall of man and sin— God was the offended party, and yet he came to the garden, and he said, Adam, where are you? Mm. He was a seeking Savior from the beginning. Even right now, as people are in sin and lostness, the Holy Spirit is is just perpetually calling, knocking at the door of your heart. So if we're going to be like God, and we're called to be like God, we have to show love and reach out whether or not that person has repented. And so, Jim— uh, let me just say, life is short, and I've done a lot of funerals as a as a minister, and I want to tell you, after the funeral, I've counseled with so many people who wept painful, bitter tears, and they said, oh my goodness, I wish I had tried to reconcile. So, um, just, my goodness, we say this, and Jim, I want your comment, burden I say, lose at anything else, but win with your family. Amen. That's very It's important. worth it. Sure is. Lisa, thanks for the call this afternoon. We appreciate it. Going to talk now to CJ calling from Ohio. CJ, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Appreciate it. I have a question that, um, excuse me, is a follow-up to one you had earlier this week. And uh, there was a caller who was asking about proper authority, the scriptures that talk about uh, women not teaching or preaching. Uh, especially where there are men present. I've heard many people say it's fine for a woman to teach other women, but not if um, if it's a mixed audience. So my question is, if a woman is invited to come and speak at a church or to a conference by the leadership, um, so she's under the leadership of the conference or under the leadership of the church, is uh, where does that fall in, in your thought? Because she's not rebelling. Right. It would be accepting or not accepting the invitation. Well, CJ, thank you for your question this afternoon. Alex, that's one of those that we've addressed several times, and it, we don't want to we don't want to cut that short. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but it's one of those things that I think the key phrase there that CJ asked about was that it was under the leadership of the pastor, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the places that we differ. It's one of those things that. We, want, we never want to offend anyone, but at the same time, we want to be true to Scripture. And I think the key phrase there for her was that it was under the leadership of the senior pastor. Yeah. Uh, let me give a couple of 
really key scriptures on this, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. And, you know, 1 Timothy 2, well, First and Second Timothy and Titus are very often called the pastoral epistles because Paul was talking to Timothy about the order and the structure and the running of the church. So I want to encourage people to read 1 Timothy 2, uh, 8 through 15, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But one of the key phrases, and, and I, I've said this, even uh, Norm Geisler and John MacArthur, and the reason I bring up their names, but those guys are very faithful to the Word of God. It says, you know, not allowing a woman to usurp authority over a man. And I don't think it violates that at all uh, to have women speak. In fact, Jim, we've, in 48 citywide apologetics conferences, we've had everybody from you know, Kay Arthur to Sandy Rios mm-hmm. speak in front of hundreds and hundreds of men and women. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that in that look at the city of Corinth and in some of the old um, places, the, there were uh, much disorder and there was uh, just a breakdown of the, the roles of men and women. And so um, when it's in the church even, uh, but it's... Uh, godly, biblically orthodox, and it's with the uh, invitation of the pastor and leadership, I don't think having a woman to speak and teach to a mixed audience necessarily violates the phrase about having usurped authority over a man. Do you? No, and, and that's why I said I think that was a key phrase there for her. Let's talk to Larry now, calling from Alabama. Larry, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank Hi, Larry. You. I appreciate y'all having me. Are you, you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, I appreciate y'all having me. I, I'm I'm in a Bible study um, now with with a gentleman, and we're different denominations. Okay, and um, I'm not big on denominations. Uh, I, I I just do my best to read the Word and, and see how God um, has it for us. And now, so we differ on some things um, regarding baptism. And um, once saved, always saved. Okay. Now, but my question is this: It we, is our salvation. Okay. If if he believes you should be baptized to be saved, I believe in, in the Spirit that that Christ, that the Holy Spirit saves us. Um, and then he believes that Christians can lose their salvation. All right. Hey, Larry. Um, Man, those are a couple of great questions, and again, we we talk about those from time to time. First of all, I'm going to take a, a step out there, and and I think Alex would agree with me on this. Anytime you begin to say Jesus and contributes to our salvation, mm-hmm. you've begun to to you know start down the road of error. And I know I'm gonna I don't mean to offend a lot of people there, but I'm sure I did because then we're going to talk about how you should be baptized, immersion, sprinkling. You know, there are different ways to do that. But, Alex, the the baptism is an outward sign of an inward experience. But unless we have the change of heart through salvation of Christ, then if we get baptized, we're just getting wet, aren't we? Well, that's true. And, uh, sir, thank you so much for listening. You know, the New Testament uses the word baptism in a couple of senses. Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3.27, talks about being baptized into Christ. And how does that happen through faith? Uh, so Galatians three twenty six and twenty seven 
children of God through faith baptized into Christ. So if you're a believer, you have been baptized. Now, there's another way the New Testament uses baptism, which is believer's baptism, and that's a public way to show about the inward reality of conversion that's already taken place. So whenever somebody says, do you believe in baptism, I, I always say, well, you got to remember the New Testament uses that word in a couple of ways. You're in Christ if you're a born-again believer, Galatians 3. But uh, Matthew 28 talks about disciples being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, so um, baptism isn't what saves. I know, Jim, you've probably heard preachers jokingly say, if, if you're not born again yet, you'll go down a dry center and come up a wet center. <laughs> That's right. But um, just like wearing a wedding ring shows that we are married, baptism, water baptism in the church shows that we've been saved and we've trusted Christ, and it's a public declaration of the faith that has taken place in our heart through conversion. Well, and, and it's one of those things too, Alex, that I want to just real quick touch on this that different denominations believe different things, and it doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. That even baptism is not something that we should break fellowship over, is it? I agree, because we, you know, uh, none of us have perfect theology, but I tell you, we do agree on this. The Son of God gave his life on Calvary's cross, rose from the dead. We believe in Jesus, and through Jesus alone we're saved. We all agree on that. And Amen. You, you know, when we get to heaven, God's going to straighten out all of our theologies, isn't he? <laughs> well, I think that's covered under then we'll know even as we are also known. Amen. Let, let's talk, well said. Yeah. Let's talk to Robert from Ohio now. Robert, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yeah, hi. Um, my question is Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, when it says that God highly exalted him, that is Jesus Christ, and gave him the name that is above every name, is it saying that uh, the name that is above every name is Yahweh, is it not? Is it saying here his name is Yahweh? Because it goes on to say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, that's a reference from Isaiah 45, 23, I believe. And in context, it's talking about Jehovah Yahweh in context. There. All right. Hey, Robert, let me let me get get this to Alex because he's going to do a much better job of it than I am. But, for example, my name is James William Stanley, and I've answered to all three. You know, I have a nickname of Jim, and I answer to it. Uh, but it's one of those things that when you talk, talk about Jesus, when you talk about God, when you talk about the Father— it's all a combination of the same thing, isn't it, Alex? It really is, because the Trinity is undivided, and it does say that he's been given the name above all names, and every knee will bow in the heavens and in the earth, and it says what? To the glory of God the Father, acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so um, it's, you know, I understand Yahweh, the, the name of God, but yes, Jesus is if you read Matthew uh, fourteen sixty one through 64, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God incarnate. Now, um, we don't have time to unpack the Trinity right now, but there's one God, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4, the Shema, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now think about it. And this is, if you want to do a little reading, um, look up the, the Creed of Athanasius or the Nicene Creed, N-I-C-E-N-E. It's just miraculous, Jim, how the early church understood this. Uh, and only the Holy Spirit could have taught them this. But the Father, Son, the Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, and yet distinct. And so when we bow and we say all glory to Jesus, we're, we're saying all glory to Yahweh. Amen. It's one of those things that when we confess that, that's where, that's where it begins. And so God did give him the name that's above every name because for clarification, it was one of those things that he wanted to point out just like he did when the heavens opened and the dove descended and the Holy Spirit, the Lord said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So too, when Paul talks about that there in Philippians, that God gave him the name that's above every name. But again, it was all done for what? It's what Alex said a moment ago, for the glory of God, the Father. Hmm. Wow. Uh, do we have time to take another call? I, I think, no, we don't. I'm, I'm being waved off because they saw my finger about to click on the next call. <laughs> uh, you know, Alex, one of the things that we have going on, uh, we have several things going on, as, as we always do, but we have talked about Operation Christmas Child a good bit this week. And I know that that you were at Billy Graham's uh, training center yesterday. I was. Where, where oh. they had that. So, folks, if you have the opportunity, visit SamaritansPurse.org. SamaritansPurse.org and click on some of their ministries. Alex, thanks for letting me hang out. Oh, it's great to be with you, folks. Thanks for listening to Exploring the Word. You can listen again at AFR.net. Share the link, forward this show to somebody. Hey, tell somebody about the great programming of the American Family Radio Network. Most of all, though, tell everybody about Jesus.